Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I hope you're doing well. It is the weekend, Sunday. Uh, the days are all kind of blurring together, so that's pretty much irrelevant. But uh, we're up early, and we wanted to talk to you guys about the latest um, feature we're going to be talking about today in our sweeping mini-series, James Bond Retrospective, Casino Royale. I'm AJ in Jersey City. And I'm Frank in Brooklyn. All right, guys. Uh, Frank, um, you watched this movie yesterday, right? Yes, we watched it yesterday afternoon. Um, like, just felt like having a nice chill afternoon and not uh, diving too late. And so we were, like, fully focused in it. It was great. Um, you watched it yesterday, too? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It was great. Really enjoyed it. Really had a good time revisiting it. It's a great movie to rewatch. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's long though. That's like my only takeaway. Again, it is kind of long, especially after going back to the Pierce Brosnan ones, and and those kind of the pacing of those are a little bit different. Um, yeah, I, we watched these, the Daniel Craig's, kind of recently. Um, I oh, want to really? say like. I mean, not like this year, but maybe like a year ago. I know we were in this apartment. So like we've, oh, wow. we've lived here for two years. So within that span, we we went and rewatched the Daniel Craig's. Cause it was probably once Spectre was out on Blu-ray, we wanted to sure. like, see that one again. And we, we went through them all. So, you know, I remember like uh, the first time I started Casino Royale because it had been years since I had seen it. I was like, there's something wrong with the Blu-ray. Why is it black and white? <laughs> oh my god! So like this time, I was like, okay, I remember this. It, it's a little like a noir thing to start. So, like, there, do not adjust your screen. <laughs> oh yeah, that you know, uh, this movie starts totally crazily. Like it really is um, uh, a total departure from everything we've you know come to expect in a Bond film. Um, yeah. You know, I saw I didn't see this movie in theaters. I don't know why we didn't like it was prime time. I I know I was reflecting on that, too. I was like, I don't think I did. And, you know, I I attribute it to we're in we were like maybe what time of year did it come out? in? I know it's 2006, but, um, you know, we're in high school. Like we have so much else going on. It comes out in November 2006, our senior year. Like, come on, we've got so many other things. Yeah. Like we're focused on the band. We're focused on college like it just wasn't the right time for us like i feel like once we were in college and came back on breaks we started going to the movies again i distinctly remember seeing this on like a band bus when i was in marching band in college so it was like either my freshman or sophomore year i watched this on a bus <laughs> okay sure i think i saw this for the first time on a home video someplace yeah um but yeah uh dude um this movie holds up, and I think that it kind of does a lot of you know new stuff for a Bond movie. Um, I mean, do you want to do quick spoiler free? I mean, we liked it, right? Go ahead. You got anything? Yeah, spoiler-free? let's do quick spoiler free because I think it's kind of still it's the new era of Bond. I mean, yeah, it's fourteen years old, but um, if people haven't uh, seen any of the Daniel Craig's, like you're gonna want to watch them in order. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I still really like it. I, I mean. It, upon my memory i don't think it's my favorite of all of his so far um but like it it's definitely holds up and it's a really good reboot like it's crazy that there was only four years between this and die another day like they really pivoted in such a strong way well it's the whole creative team like that's what was so crazy to see on the dvd i expected going from die another day to 
Casino Royale, they would have like kind of clean house, right? Like maybe they had gotten rid of the writers or like changed up a producer here and there. Not really. The only thing that they did was they added Paul Haggis, you know, mm-hmm. and they also brought back um, Martin Campbell, who directed Goldeneye, who had some experience directing a Bond film and was a pretty is a pretty decent director, I think, in his own right. And I think his kind of go, his go around in Casino Royale does lay the groundwork for what becomes a pretty artsy you know, take on Bond. Like, the, you think of the cinematography in Sam Mendes' Skyfall, like, it's just beautiful, you know? Like, right. the way that they are shooting Bond changes dramatically. Yeah, and, you know, for him to have directed Goldeneye and then to have directed this one, I mean, I think they're, they're very, very different movies, but, like, you can kind of see how how he handled it in, in similar ways. Like, like the, the Pierce Brosnan bond um, in that movie is much more like stoic and like, I don't know. He, he, I don't think he has quite as much of the, the cheese as he has in some of the later movies. And so like, that's what we get here. And then they like really dial it up and add in some more, even more seriousness uh, in the plot and cut out some of the, the cheekiness. Something that I thought was really interesting, Barbara Broccoli is really good on the special features, and she was like, it's a more serious world, we need a more serious Bond. Um, And and I totally see what they meant by that, and how they were kind of going to take that. So, before, I mean, like, it's not super spoilers, like, you can go and find this stuff on the internet, but, like, I think we got to go back and talk about, like, historically, like, why Casino Royale is kind of important and, like, what happened and why the first James Bond film period isn't Casino Royale. Yeah. Right? It would make sense. Like, it's the first book. Like, it would be – it would almost be as if, like, if Lord of the Rings didn't start with Fellowship of the – you know, the Ring. It starts with Two two Towers. It would be weird, right? Right. Or, like, if every uh, Spider-Man reboot didn't have the origin it was just like okay jump into the middle like sure yeah exactly so here what we really see is that uh you know so in 1954 uh fleming who is according to the documentary this is um i think it's called becoming bond on the casino royale documentary uh ian fleming is in a relationship he's you know done being a spy he's about to go become Married guy, he goes to the Caribbean to Goldeneye in Jamaica, and he writes Casino Royale, kind of like reminiscing about his like last trip out, you know, being a spy and what this whole world he's kind of giving up is. And it's this awesome kind of crazy action story of, you know, James Bond becoming James Bond for the first time and why he's like this character going forward. So 1954, um, it the year it came out cbs buys the uh tv rights to make their own version of casino royale on a tv series that aired in that october um it notably it had peter laurie as la chifra so that's crazy and instead of having james bond they had uh jimmy bond (laughs) so it's an american version of the story and it's not too terrible like it does get across the general story you know, plot but it's not james bond yet so at this point uh fleming sells the rights to a, the film rights to this guy named gregory radoff who is a soviet-born uh russian expat who 
left Russia and now lives in Egypt and really wanted to make these movies and he really wanted to make Casino Royale. He's trying to get it off the ground. He's having a ton of problems because he was kind of a shitty uh, character actor and a shitty director, so no one really wanted to make the movie with him. So as that's going on, Broccoli and Saltzman go and get the rights to Dr. No. So before they can get this movie really into development, there's already a James Bond movie that comes out. So, Uh, uh, And and Dr. No, is that the second book? uh, Yes. And then Feldman uh, is this other producer who buys up the uh, rights after Radoff's death, after this happens. And then for years, Radoff is like, uh, not Radoff, Feldman is also trying to make, you know, the version of Casino Royale because it's a really great story, right? They're going to do something different. He ends up making the Peter Sellers, Woody Allen Casino Royale because he had made like a goofy 60s movie the year before and was fine. That movie comes out the same year as You Only Live Twice and it loses money. Uh, so at, so the film, you know, this guy dies, he dies a year later, probably from a broken heart from not being able to make a good James Bond movie. Uh, at, in 67, Fleming gives the rights to the perpetuity to Broccoli and Saltzman. Then he dies. So then the James Bond series is pretty much cemented into, uh, the Broccoli and Saltzmans of the world as they're going on. In 1997, finally, the film rights for Casino Royale opened back up because they were owned at Columbia, which is Sony, and MGM and Sony were really working together to make the Bond movies at this point. Uh, they were able to do this because it was all kind of in-house. And it, once they got to you know being done with Die Another Day... They were trying to figure out they and they do actually talk about this in the uh, in the documentary, which I thought was so cool. They had a full script for Jinx written oh, for Halle Berry. Right. Yeah. And they were in Hollywood pitching it to Halle Berry. And then the next day get told, hey, guys, you have to go read Casino Royale. They go, they read Casino Royale and they're like, well, we love this. We want to do this. Let's fucking do this. And then Barbara they, they, Ro- they read the book or they have a script. Written no, there? they read the book. And okay. then they wrote a script and then they, because at a certain point they had a meeting with Broccoli and, uh, Michael something and he, Wilson. the other Michael Wilson, and they have a meeting together and they decide, all right, well, if we're going to do Casino Royale, we got to go for the full reboot. Yeah. And I mean, that makes a ton of sense because like if, if the rights were kind of in limbo for a long time and like whenever they come through, like, yeah, they, they have such like a good trend going with like whichever bond that they're in. And so the natural stopping point is after die another day where they're trying to figure out what to do differently. Right. Like bond needs to evolve. Like we just did a whole episode on that. Why, why that's the case. And so like do a reboot with the origin story, basically that, that was written like four bonds specifically. Yeah. And four bonds specifically. Exactly. Like they didn't have to do, do too much, uh, like lifting on creating what that origin is it like Fleming already did it. He's he already did it. And this is, I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that they had done in this movie is just straight out of the book. 
Um, Very interesting. All of the drink orders that Bond does are his actual <laughs> orders in the books. <laughs> very cool. Uh, yeah, very interesting. So, yeah, I think once this movie, you know, got announced that it was going to be with Craig, it was like one of the first real internet backlashes. You think in 2005, like this is before, uh, you know, I guess maybe it's a little bit before Heath Ledger was going to be pe- cast as Joker. Right. But this was one of the great, you know, internet, you know, freakouts. Well, and so I was looking back at it because I was like, I don't remember Daniel Craig from anything beforehand. But like, you look at his credits, it's like, oh shit, he was in a lot of stuff before this. Ton like, of stuff. Ton of stuff. He was in uh, uh, Tomb Raider. He was in Munich. He was in. Um, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head now. But like, he then obviously after this movie came out, oh, Road to Perdition. That was the other one. So like that's a bunch of big movies. And so obviously people that are paying attention probably know who he is at this time. And to, to see James Bond cast in such a different, uh, you know, you've got the, the blue eyes, the light hair, like he's just like a different build than any of the other bonds we've seen. He's like, he's people a sexy in London. <laughs> people in London were pissed. And then they made yeah. him do this crazy publicity stunt where he came in on a boat and they people the the paparazzi was shooting him with like long lenses and he's making all these goofy faces and they made fun of him the whole time um yeah man uh so overall i think daniel craig was a great choice i think that he definitely becomes the modern bond like in in every sense of the word and i'm so excited to get into this movie and kind of why it's interesting and maybe if our uh you know, uh, rating scale holds up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be interesting to see. Cause we, we crafted it, uh, designed for the old bond. So it may not necessarily work for his. Um, but we'll see. Um, I think it, it could definitely fall into, uh, into line with the like Sean Connery's and the Roger Moore movies. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. yeah I, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to break it down. Um, anything else spoiler free? No, I'm, you know, I, uh, I like the, I like Craig. I like these movies. Um, if they feel, um, timely and real, um, you know what he said. And, uh, I don't think I really can build anything more on that. (laughs) All right. So we're going to talk, uh, full spoilers on Casino Royale. If you haven't seen it yet, please go watch it. Um, unfortunately, as we go into these other movies, they're not available streaming. Exactly. Um, so you can probably find it to rent somewhere, whether it's Prime or Apple TV or something like that, or maybe you own it. Um, but I, I know the older Bonds are on on Prime, so um, yeah, go, go go watch Casino Royale to revisit and remember everything, and we'll uh, break it down for you here today on Apple. If you were to get the Daniel Craig collection, it's twenty nine ninety nine for all four movies digitally. That's not that bad. Really, it's not. That's a, that's a steal. Okay, right. so you ready? I'm ready. All right. Um, the opening sequence of this movie, I think, is really a standout. And well, I, what what are which opening sequence are we referring to? The gun barrel. Okay. The gun barrel. It's a whole sequence. I because in my mind, there's two. Sure. There's there's the like, the origin, uh, everything in black and white, and then there's the the great crazy chase throughout uh madagascar that's kind of also an opening sequence more in the traditional sense 
Okay. But even still, I think what they're trying to say in the black and white sequence is setting up his gun barrel going forward. You know what I mean? Like in a way where like they, instead of introducing him here as a fully fleshed bond walking into the frame, like they do in Goldeneye, like we have to see what he has to do in order to become James Bond. Ba-da-ba, you know, and he does sure. the thing. Um, yeah, I, I like the black and whiteness of it all. I was always confused by this scene because I think you can miss a lot of it if you're not watching it with subtitles, actually. Hmm. Um, so this time watching it again and kind of seeing what the whole plot of the scene is about before you get into the next bit of the movie in color and, you know, in standard format. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, I appreciated this much more. Yeah. I mean, so it's basically, this is, uh, James's like final mission to get his double O status. And, uh, we see him hiding in the dark, um, and then sort of reflecting back on like this other guy that he had to kill, in a bathroom yep. um, as like that. He was what his, uh, the, the, the guy's informant or something like that, or um, his, his contact, his contact. Um, so yeah. And they have this whole conversation about like how the first kill is so hard. And you know, the second one is <laughs> that he just shoots him. It's like, it's yeah, much easier. Just shoots him. Um, yeah, it was, uh, no, but he's like, you know, they say so much without saying a ton, you know, like it's all kind yeah. of hidden dialogue, you know, um, but I do, I liked it and I liked the, the brutality of it, you know, it's very born identity. I mean, that's exactly, I think the, what they're going for. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think if anything, this movie is more of a response to the born films than anything else. Um, and you can kind of see that with the physicality in some of the fight sequences and the chases and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a great way to show uh, his evolution into becoming, you know, the double O agent that we know from here on out. Um, but yeah. it also is a distinct way of like, hey, this is different. you wouldn't have seen uh pierce brosnan just like mutilate this guy in a bathroom and drown him (laughs) no you probably wouldn't have yeah um i okay so then you get the the next sequence which is in uh africa right immediately following right in uganda in uganda this is after the credit sequence which is the chris cornell song which I think is great. I think it's a great song. And I think the song and the the way that it integrates into the score, fabulous. Fantastic. Um, and, I mean, I think the, the opening credits is really notable in that it, it doesn't try to do that, like, heavy CGI. It's all animated. It looks really, really cool. Um, it's, like, distinctly almost Mad Men-esque. Like, I think yes, before agreed. Mad Men happens, right? Um, so I wonder if they stole it from Casino Royale. Um, no, I, I but feel like, you. It, it's also funny because like we were just talking about Austin Powers and how there's like some weird casino bits in Austin Powers, and they have they go all in here, but they make it serious, right? They have the cards and the 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 different uh, suits and everything, and it works. I think it's it's, it's really cool. I I agree. Yeah, I I like the way that it looks, and I like the 
up-tempo nature of the song when they play it here so it doesn't feel like a scene that's like kind of like drags you through like the world is not enough like it's like and it's it's, and the song is not named after the movie no totally not totally not has nothing really to do with the 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 name of the movie it's all about bond it's himself yeah exactly it's about bond you know it, it can maybe stand on its own as a song a little bit more but yeah um, it's definitely about Bond. <laughs> so, yeah, then from there, we're in um, Africa, where this warlord guy is meeting Mr. White v- via uh, Le Chifre for the first time, mm-hmm. and they're doing a trade, um, transferring some money for weapons, as we see that Le Chifre is, shed- is setting up uh, stock sharing holdings with a uh, Air, airline company, right? Like he bought or sold some shares. Yeah, the Skyfleet, um, and basically he's betting against it. Like everyone's like, "Oh, the Scott, the stocks on the Skyfleet are going to go crazy high," and he's betting that it's not. Um, which kind of sets up the plot of the movie, and that they're attempting to blow it up, and so then the the, sco- the stocks would tank, and he would make a ton of money. Um, and, and so like, I guess part of this is also like they're, they're dealing with like a bomb maker or something. Um, yeah. So there's a, the, they're trying to contact a bomb guy so that they can send this bomb dude into, I think the, the jet, I think that's the plot that they, he foils. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think this first, there's like two guys, right? So the first bomb guy is the one that when we first pick up in Madagascar, we see um, James Bond with some other agent who totally sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, stop touching your ear. And then we don't see him any anymore. Like, we don't know what happens to that guy. He probably got fired. <laughs> um, but it sets up this crazy sequence of, like, parkour throughout the city. Um and like oh this is the inventor of parkour this is sebastian Fouquin from uh, he's a french free runner free runner he kind of invented the sport so in the same way that like they incorporated that surfer dude in die another day yeah they're getting this guy who's just reinvented something that they know is going to look cool in a giant james bond movie and i think it's one of the best it's one of the best action sequences of the of the last twenty five years. Like it's just excellent. Uh, it's so it's eight, good. Eight minutes of heart pounding practical effects. Like it's nuts. And like you see James like kind of holding his own in a way. Like he does a lot of the things that th- this guy does, but you know, way less confident. <laughs> it's like uh, I guess I could jump from this crane to this crane. See how it goes, and uh, you know, but also like using his wits to maybe outsmart him in certain spots. Like, okay, this guy's gonna go run, do all these things. I'm gonna take this shorter shortcut and try to catch him here. No, I think with the de- defining moment of the whole chase scene is when they're in in one of the complexes, and the uh, runner guy is you know making his way, and he does that awesome jump where he jumps through that top vent. And then Daniel Craig oh, just yeah. like burst through the wall like the fucking Kool Aid Man. <laughs> that is the new James Bond. He's a fucking yeah. brutal motherfucker, and he's not gonna 
figure out some ridiculous way where he's going to melt it with a thumb laser or some shit. He is right. going to break through the goddamn drywall <laughs> and, <laughs> and fucking get you. Like he's a whole different level of athletic, physical, you know, strength. It's a whole new thing. Um, he like runs the entire movie. <laughs> he is. He's well, I think that's something that I did. I did want to talk about is that, and, and it's part, I guess it's part of the larger Daniel Craig story that I guess we can talk about as these go on. This movie is so incredibly physical like yeah. in every sense of the word he is busting his fucking ass like and he's getting his butt kicked the whole time and if you watch the when i was watching the special features it's like that that's my intention like i want you to feel the blows i want you to feel in the same way you know where when you're watching a fight like the blows of this guy getting hit you know Sure. And you do feel that it's it's a different level of brutality that Daniel Craig brings to it, and that's so apparent throughout this whole scene. Yeah, the, and like some of those sequences where like he, he when when he does jump down from the cranes and is not as graceful, and like you see him fall, it's like oh my god, you feel that like he hits yeah. the ground hard, but he gets back up, and that's you know that's what this guy does. Well, the, cra- the cranes, the cranes are crazy. <laughs> They practice the fights on the ground, like in the in Pinewood in London, and then they go. They actually shot the Madagascar sequences in the Caribbean. I don't think they mask that very well, and nah. like, and that is like a little bit sad because they could have just set it in a different part of the Caribbean. <laughs> like, yeah, why did it have to be know? Madagascar? I don't know. Uh, so you know, but that whole sequence where they're, oh my god. That whole sequence is just they're drilling up the thing and they're hanging on it. Most of that is shot practically just with cables that they took out. And, I mean, they would have had to have some stunt guys, right? Yes, like, but but a lot of the, the jumping off of it and jumping onto the different ones, that's stunt dudes. Yeah, and I think there's there, there's like one that one sequence when you see James like running up the um, the crane on the side, like uphill. Like, I think there's a close-up shot where it's definitely him, but there's, like, a more extended shot where, like, that's probably a stunt guy because it's pretty dangerous. Definitely. Um, definitely. So, awesome work all around. I think it's it's fantastic. That's, that's why I'm saying, like, this is – it's, like, yeah, it's after the credits, but it's kind of in line with what we have defined as an opening sequence, a big action point where it sets up the plot um, and – uh you get to see because I th- I feel like the first one is kind of like a prelude, right? Like this is like before, like if you're opening the book, it's like prelude. <laughs> this oh is yeah, James Bond, and then this is chapter one, right? <laughs> Definitely, um, and this is a great chapter to start at because you see him kind of you know being awesome, but like that he's you know still learning a lot, you know, and he ultimately goofs it up, and uh, yeah. Uh, goofs it up is is very tame. I mean, he really yeah. he fucks up here in a in a bad way. He breaks like the main international law. Like he goes into this embassy after this guy's like already kind of safe, and yeah. he like he. I mean, not only does he break in and and chase him and like wreak havoc amongst the entire staff. He like he kills the guy and kills a bunch of. Well, I don't know if he kills a bunch of other people, but. He like blows it up and escapes, and it's very public and on camera. Oh, totally on camera. Huge, huge no no. <laughs> Definitely not what MI6 wanted. <laughs> right. Um, 
And so, like, I mean, the repercussions here, I would have thought that M would have been a lot more pissed than she was. <laughs> like, um, well, But, like, they give him the, the benefit of the doubt in a way, I guess. Or they just, like, let him, like, lay low. I don't know. I think the whole point of, like, M in this new series with Daniel Craig is that it's a different relationship, you know? Like, and this really establishes it kind of very clearly that they're just getting to know each other, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and very quickly, you know, we see kind of, you know, that in typically what you would have here is where M would give the mission to Bond. Bond takes the mission from M and kind of just, like, goes with it. And it's kind of a reversal of, like, what we've come to expect from this part of the movie. Yeah. Um, ultimately, when they do, uh, it, you know, it feels weird because he, like, breaks into her place. It's like, well, boundaries. Um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, you know, why, um, why not, you know, kind of rein him in? Like, there isn't a reining him in scene in the way that, you know, she's yelling in the hallway. Yeah, I mean, I think um, maybe the, there's part of it that's, like, she has faith in him. Like, she just promoted him. And, like, yeah, he had this big public screw-up. But, like, ultimately, she has kind of... She believes in him in a, in a to a degree that, like... Well, yeah, he shouldn't have gone as far as he did. That there was something worth getting there, um, and then obviously she realizes qu- quickly soon after that, like he is on some sort of thread and trying to see where where that leads him. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm down though. I miss the Q scene. You know, like I think it's a it's a bold choice to not do it. You know, but and I get why. Um, but you know, I, I, I miss it. And I, I think they definitely could have benefited from explaining how the car worked. <laughs> well, and I mean, notably, I mean, it's not that all of the Q scenes that happen at, in the first act. I mean, I think this, he doesn't get the car for a while. Like he goes, like he gets the car after, um, we have another couple action sequences. <laughs> oh yeah. And like he, he gets, uh, you know, he has the old Aston Martin first. <laughs> like he, he wins yeah. that in a poker game. Um, all right. So, yeah, he basically plot keeps going. He is following this ellipsis thread, this text message. And there's a ton of Sony product placement throughout this entire film. It's gross. Which is, it, which is kind of gross, but it's also expected, right? And so he, he tracks where the message was sent. Um, to the Bahamas, so he. I like that part of it. I think he's that was really cool, out. a cool way for them to use like the the GPS and like that he's not just like an action guy. He's he's got some brains too, and he knows right. how to use the techie stuff. And so he goes all the way to the Bahamas, and then pulls uh, a little prank <laughs> to get into the security guard to the security office, and pulls the tape and gets it down to the minute of when the text message was sent and like that was a really cool way of his detective work right like he got to yes go all the way across the world land look at the camera and see this guy's face from the moment he sends his text message that was cool yes agreed um 
So, but... Okay, so the Caribbean parts of this movie are very fun. Um, I wish they had stayed in the Caribbean for more of it. Um, yeah, this movie hops around a lot. Yeah, it does some serious globe trotting. Um, okay, so while they're in, uh, you know, Nassau for the first time, uh, we are learning about, you know, who Mr. Demetrios is and how he could be connected to, you know, ultimately Le Chiffre, uh that we don't know yet. Um, but uh, James Bond plays poker. Poker looms large throughout this entire movie. It sure does. Um, you know, in the special features, the uh, whole crew said that they would play poker, you know, late. Everybody would play against each other. You know, Craig would play. Uh, the writers and producers would play against each other. Everybody would play poker. Poker was becoming majorly uh, popular in the mid-2000s and 2006 with, like, the World Series of Poker becoming a televised event. Yeah. Uh, and it really had a big moment in a way that, like, Baccarat was not. <laughs> Yeah, what? Well, so is Baccarat what he plays in the novel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Like, they got to modernize it. Um, I think it's easier for audiences to kind of understand, especially when the plot is so surrounded on, on this, like, poker game or this, this card game that we need to see Bond win. You need yes. to know how it works. <laughs> exactly. And so, this was much, much easier for the audiences to kind of grasp on to. Uh, I, I think it was super fun and I liked the way that, uh, you know, throughout the movie, the level of play and like what the different things mean is like always like kind of explained. So like, even if you don't know what the fuck is happening, there's going to be somebody at some point to kind of exposit <laughs> like what's going yeah. on. Yeah. The dealer is saying more maybe than he would in a, like an actual poker table in like Vegas or something. I don't know, yes. maybe not, but like, yeah, they're definitely saying it to the audience, like, "Oh yes, your your hand beats this hand," <laughs> right? In case you didn't know. In case you um, didn't know. And I think it's interesting because, like, yeah, it sets up Bond as like he's like clearly an adept card player, but also that he's taking so much more from it than just the game, right? Like, he's learning about the people, he's learning about their their tells and like the probability and the, and the stakes that all those are factors for him. It's not just like, Oh, I'm good at poker. Well, yeah, he's a super spy. Uh, yeah. and he, you know, this is a great way for him to learn about people. I really liked that. Um, he wins the DB five. I don't know how they got that car again. And then it made me think in skyfall when they open the container, is this that car? I, I don't know, because it's like, oh, he asks for the, the valet receipt, but he doesn't ask for the title. <laughs> like, is this real? But then the guy dies, so I guess right, it's like, still did his they car? It, like, is the car, I guess we have to wait and see, like, do they use any of the gadgets from the Goldfinger car in Skyfall? Because I don't think so, right? I think it's just a car. I don't know. I mean, th then that would set up the continuity. Yeah, it, it may be. Um, it very well may be because uh, there's. It doesn't get destroyed. He doesn't like. He just. He leaves it, and then he later gets the new car, and so he uses that one because it's got the gadgets and stuff. It it's uh, all right, but so that car is cool, and that lady is again like wow. Uh, it's a very interesting scene because for the first time we see bond kind of go and like, you know, 
make nice with this woman, but like once he finds out the information he needs, he leaves. He doesn't sleep with her. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think it's interesting that like, I think in these films are also, uh, starting to make it a little bit more modern and, and that like, okay, he doesn't need to go for this, like, uh, you know, 20 something year old, like he can go for a married, married lady. woman. He can go for an older woman. Like and it, it all is part of his persona. Um, and like, yeah, he, I think he would have stayed if he'd known that like th- there wasn't as much of an urgency, but the, the guy was literally leaving on a plane to go to Miami. And I was like, if I don't go now, I'm going to miss out on this. But I don't know. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think he was still on his mission at this point, and we haven't seen him like fully adopt the um, the womanizing bit until I think until the next movie. Um, well, we gotta see about that. Uh, we'll see about that, but uh, I think there's a distinct reason why at sure. the end of this one. Um, once we you know kind of you know lo- lose this guy, we have easily one of the I think. This the action sequence in the airport feels like it's the ending of like eighteen different movies, <laughs> right? Yeah, you got a little bit of Terminator Two in there. You got a little bit of uh, Fast and the Furious. You've got a couple different, um, fa- you know, movies that this that, that that this feels like an ending to, not sure. just the first act. So before we get to like the action part, I I. Megan and I had paused the movie about halfway through and we were getting a little snack and I was like, but this one piece just doesn't make sense to me. So maybe you can help clarify. So we've, we're following Demetrios. He is working with Le Chiffre or Le Chiffre right. and uh, has to go to Miami. And so we see him with a bag and this like key Right. And um, they go into this like bodyworks exhibit. So he's basically setting up a drop for this other guy to come in and take the outfit and the bomb. Correct. So, but like, why did he go? Why did Demetrius go? Like, it, it to me it seems like that's such like a a low level crony kind of job to to, to do. Um, like Megan said that it, because the first bomb guy got got killed that he wanted like it was too high stakes and he wanted to take care of it himself does that make sense well i think what happens there's a scene where demetrios visits shifra on the boat and they're like you know what happened he's like oh well he was mi6 you know we didn't know i think what happens there is that they were going to use somebody else to you know handle this kind of a job and now that this guy is gone like now you have to do it okay you know and then once, you know, because cause it's all the same password, it felt like yeah. it's all the same mission. It is all the same mission. They're replacing the first bomb guy with the new bomb guy. Right. Yeah, it just was weird to me. It's like, okay, uh, I'm this, like, big hotshot uh, guy that lives in the Bahamas, has a ton of money, and I have to go deliver a package to Miami. <laughs> I don't know. And then well, he gets killed for it. So, yeah, like, but he's, like, part of the you know, the crappy henchman universe. Yeah. He is kind of a crappy henchman, you know? <laughs> well, they're all kind of really interesting henchmen in this movie. Like, and it feels very Austin powers ish in that way too, that there's all different like flavors of them. You know, you yeah. have this like crazy runaround parkour guy. You have Mr. Demetrios with his Greek lifestyle and crazy gambling. 
you know, you got uh, the bald guy for a while who's hanging out. Where does he? Where does what happens to the bald guy? I was so oh, excited yeah. when they had the bald guy at the beginning. Where does he go? He's he, yeah. He's, he's, he's just gone. number two. <laughs> uh, there were so many great uh, little guys here, but well, then I think that's one of the things about this movie that I don't like. It does kind of have a too many villain problem. Oh, it's yes. Yes. And you've got so many bad guys and that even Lashif, who's supposed to be the big bad, like when you see the the cover art, like he's the one on the cover. He's got the, the scar and everything. But he's not the big bad. <laughs> well, no, you we kill him uh, in the second act of the movie. Like, it's yeah. weird. It is weird. Um, okay, so we, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But so, okay, yeah, they, they take the bomb. The car chase. The, 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 the chase throughout the airport, and he... Uh, he figured he actually ends up calling M and MI6, and uh, they they help him a little bit uh, to figure out what his target is, and it's the the Sky Fleet or whatever it's called plane, the big mega jumbo Uber jet. Yeah. Um, there's a Richard Branson cameo in this. I don't know if you saw it. No. <laughs> when uh, when they're going through the metal detectors, you see this one guy like. I'm like, that looks like Richard Branson. And then I looked it up, and it was him. No, Apparently, uh, there were some ads that he was in, but then they like they cut it out. I don't know. It's weird. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, they go through. It's this epic chase. There's, uh, you know, some more physicality for Daniel Craig to do. Um, and, uh, yeah. Like, this guy, he doesn't talk. <laughs> He's just kind of like an no. evil driver. That, that um, was some of the criticism that people have said online is like, if we had known maybe a little bit more about who the guy, the driver was, maybe would have heightened the level of intensity for that scene. Yeah. Like even to like, know like, you know, his name is Ponzu Poster and he's been out here in Miami for several years. And, you know, like even just like a little bit of backstory to make us give a little bit of a shit would have been helpful. But I still think what it does, it showcases the, the physicality. Like it's a great, you know, sequence. It looks a lot like the Indiana Jones, uh, Radio Raiders, of the Lost Ark. You know, chase in the van. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a lot it's, going for it. It's really cool what they do with. Um, there's that sequence where the 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 police cars are chasing them, and then the plane is coming down. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and that's awesome. And then the plane takes off, and it sends a, a cop car flying. It's like some really cool action. Um, uh, ultimately, Bond you know, obviously saves the day and he, uh, I, I like that he sees the, the little clip on the bottom of the vehicle and then we don't see what happens, but it's like, we know he, he moved it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he gets caught like, but then obviously the bomb explodes and takes our mystery man with him. Uh, so obviously bond gets out of it because of, of MI6 and like, that's fine. You know, we, we that doesn't matter. We don't need to see him in an interrogation or anything like that. That's that that would be a different movie. Um, oh yeah. Well, th this movie has like three movies. Um, sure. So then we go back. We see that this poor lady is tortured, and we get mm -hmm. kind of what is essentially the main plot of the movie. There is a high stakes poker game that, since the plane didn't uh, go boom, uh, Lashifra didn't make a ton of money which means that now he has to raise more money to pay off his terrorist people. Uh, so now there's a big card game in Montenegro 
uh, $10 million buy-in, $5 million, you know, additional buy-in. Uh, it's a lot of money. And now if they stop this, they can kind of stop with Shifra. Sure. Yeah. And so we, so we go through, we don't have, um, we don't have Tanner character yet. We have, uh, Tobias Menzies, who is in like every British thing. <laughs> he's, he's in Game of Thrones. Yep. He's in, uh, the crown. He's in Outlander. Like, so, and I think he actually was in an, a different James Bond movie uh, earlier. We have him, so we don't have um, a Q character yet, and we don't have a Money Penny character yet. So they're, well, they're very much. But that, but, but, yeah, but isn't Vesper technically Money Penny? Maybe. I mean, they wink at it. They they have a little bit of but a. She's nod. the accountant. She's the accountant. I don't know. I I don't. She's very different than any other money penny. I, I think that that's used as kind of a like as an Easter egg more so Easter than Easter eggs, Easter eggs, because yeah, is, cause, is money egg? penny a name or what you think it's an Easter eggs. I think it's an Easter egg. I think a money penny is a name or a code name. We never refer to her as that. She has her name is Vesper Lind. And he says something about every penny of it or whatever, right? Like, it, they say it, but anyway. So so we set up, like, the team, and it's um, not quite the same as it, it used to be. Um, and that's, this is when he gets, the, he gets the tracking device put in him, and he gets the car and uh, some of the gadgets. Um, which, like... Well, I guess he gets the car when he gets to Montenegro, right? Yes, he get, he gets the car when he checks into the hotel. Right. Um, so they After they he set has a, what looks like a very nice time on the train. A very nice time. So they they set him up with the accountant for MI six, I guess, or she works kind of as an in between, maybe. Um, Vesper Lynn, they have kind of a conversation. Um, and into dinner and there's some sparks going but like you know she's a little bit reserved at first um, but yeah it, it's kind of cool like to see them slow down a little bit and have him not just like land in this, the town and that he has to take a, a train to get there oh yeah it's a it, it, it definitely serves to recalibrate you know the second half of the film uh and then once you get to Montenegro, it's again one of those like classic Bond locations, you know, where we can, you know, approach it differently. Um, they, you know, arrive. He gets, you know, he immediately blows the cover. They make a joke at all the silly old Bond girl names by when they're driving around looking at their stories, and Bond calls her Stephanie Broadchest. <laughs> and that was very funny. Uh, so they sh they sh oh we should talk about uh, Eva Green. Yes, Vesper Lind. Um, yeah, man. Oof, oofa. Yeah, she's great. I think she's one of the best Bond girls ever. I think she is, and, and I think it's because they gave her so much more depth as a character, um, and but also is smoking hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yes. And, and it, they set up a romantic relationship that is more, much more deep than anything probably before, or at least we'll, we'll see. But 
he always falls in love, but it's never like this. No, it really isn't. And this is like so different and so special. And it, it just feels like a whole different kind of Bond movie. It feels almost believable that they're set up to have this romantic interplay throughout the entire film in a way that sometimes it plays through and like sometimes it comes through at the very, very end. You know, there's different, you know, levels to it, you know. And I think this, uh, you know, version, this interpolation is very much designed to, you know, show his vulnerability, show, you know, him the last time before he could never fall in love, you know, again. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's like such a baby. Like, yeah. I think that's the other thing. Like, uh, one thing that we've noticed is like he looks so young, especially now after watching him um, in all the other films. And like, but like looking at this Bond compared to like the first movies of all the other Bonds, it's like yeah, he looks really really young. And, you know, maybe really never had a relationship. And it's like when she gets up from from the table at dinner time on the train, he like gets up and like has this moment. It's like, whoa, you see it. It's not like, OK, I've got my mark. I know what's happening. He's like really intrigued by her. Um, oh, which yeah. is definitely different. Oh, yeah. Um, he you're right. He does look like a baby, uh, but he's um I don't know. He's uh, he's kind of how you know. I think you know Bond is always like the aspirational man, right? And according to what they were saying here, that like this was going for a much more you know colder you know version, closer to what Fleming had said. I think I just think it's a better version in terms of like what's modern and like the way that you know we're internalizing you know, the feelings, but like the vulnerability that Daniel Craig is able to show, uh, comes through in a way while like Pierce Brosnan is just like, he's, he was always just having a little too much fun. And it just never was, it it never pained him in the way that like being James Bond kind of pains Daniel Craig, but that could be, and I would hasten to bet earlier to speaking when I was talking about earlier, that the physicality of what Daniel Craig's James Bond goes through wears on him. Like it just, it can't not, you know, like the, the way that they've taken, they took a character that really was dependent on gadgets and, you know, different cool modes of transportation. And then same way in the Brosnan films, you know, whether he's driving a tank or a motorcycle or a cool jet boat, He's always using some other kind of thing. Like in this movie, Daniel Craig is running his dick around everywhere, everywhere. <laughs> and and he's, I, I got to think. How many times does he almost die? Right? Yeah, like... he, he gets just the, the shit beat out of him. So I got to believe that like he, this has to be part of why he's had such a, a averse relationship to the character. Like over time, like we know looking back on it now, like there was possibly not a shot that he was going to come back and do no time to die, you know? And there was, you know, kind of a, a big frustration. He said after doing Spectre and Skyfall that they were just so, you know, physically taxing on his body in a way that maybe they didn't do that to Roger Moore. Yeah, no, I totally believe that. Um, you know, but back to one other thing that you said, like, I don't know if it's necessarily, um, the actor, uh, like you said something about uh, the way that Daniel Craig portrays like the vulnerability. I think some of that is part of the direction and the, and the writing. Like, I don't think it's in the writing of any of the Pierce Brosnan movies for him to feel like 
this vulnerable and believable because I'm I have faith in Pierce Brosnan as an actor that he could dial it into that. I just don't know if they've ever like asked him to do it that way. I think that's a good point. Um, so anyway, uh, we're we're already getting long, and we're only at like part yeah. way through the, the the movie. Yeah, but we don't have so, to talk about the card game for very long. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so yeah, we get there. He's um, we, we, he basically has this whole like interaction with Eva Green, uh, Vesper Lynn. They have this uh, suite that's kind of like a two room suite and they have this like interaction where he is like oh you're gonna wear this this dress um and so when you walk in people look at you and not think about me or the cards and then she like flips it and's like here i i got you this suit this jacket <laughs> so it's like there's a cute interplay there that um they both are kind of playing each other um yes and and which is great and he goes into the game, um, uh, and we well we we've missed this other character Mathis that they meet. So Mathis is the their contact in in Montenegro. Is that right? Because he doesn't work for MI six or anything. No, I think he's some other extra, you know, extra intelligence person. It's unclear and never really fully set up. I don't think. But he's the one that kind of gets them into the game, right? Because, yeah, he's like a fixer, you know, like a local fixer. They're eating lunch and they they see this other guy get arrested that had been working for Le Chiffre. So I, it, to me, it's like maybe Le Chiffre would have had another guy playing at the table that was working for him. Sure. Um, so anyway, so he becomes this this other player that they're working with and you know bond is uh uh learning his tells and you know uh, learning lashif's tells on the table and so you know it goes on and on and there's multiple breaks <laughs> and I, I think cross dissolves yeah there's like okay we've got an hour break here uh the game <laughs> resumes the next day like it's like a two-day affair and multiple uh Multiple sit-downs at the table, which, you know, I would imagine if there's this much money, yeah, it would take a long time. Um, But notably, every single time Bond comes back to the table, no matter the shit he's been through, he is, like, perfectly dressed and and composed. Because that's, like, that's part of his Yeah, but that's also that scene that we see where he's cleaning himself up and he's, you know, painstakingly cleaning up the blood and his, you know, his hairline to make sure when he gets to the thing... He looks perfect. You're totally yep. right about that. Um, you know, I, I think these are like the best, most interesting and like exciting poker scenes in a movie. Like you're definitely like invested enough to like know what's going on and like care in the way that like when they play sports in a movie, like you're excited when they get a point. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, uh, It's shot fun. And I think that they do a good job. It must have been really hard for the actors and the crew because of all the continuity stuff that they would have to do between rotating the cameras and everybody's chips and all that different stuff. And they did a very good job of that because it looks awesome. Yeah. It's flawless. Uh, And then you get, you know, this very exciting scene that uh, culminates, I think, uh, you know, the, the gambling scene twice. There's the first fight after um the first night 
where uh, the African terrorist guys have broken into Casino Royale. They have holed up in uh, Lashif's apartment. They have taken his girl hostage, and they are about to fucking knock her, slice her arm off. Yeah. Um, at that point, it's like awesome, and like we should talk about like why Lashif is so great. Like, uh, you know, Matt Mads Mikkelsen, Mikkelsen. he's Whew. the man. Yeah, he's gone on to do so many other things since then in, in other properties that we care about. Um, but, like, it's he's such a mystery man, right? Like, we don't – we're never told what happened to his eye, right? No. We're just, like – we just go with it. He's got this, this scar, and that it's implied that, like, the way that it was cut, it cut a tear duct or something, so he cries It's blood. a malformation of his tear ducts. That's okay. why he cries blood. Um, but it also it happens at like distinct moments, right? Oh yeah. Like he cries blood when, when he loses. He cries blood like, um, a couple stressed. of other times to- when he's stressed. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. Um, Mad Spickleson, Like it's interesting that he never he always plays like either like ambiguous to bad characters. Like I don't know of any movies where he's like the sole main protagonist. Uh. But here he's like, he's so awesome. He's such a great reinterpolation of the Bond villain in a couple different ways. Like, I think first, the the fact that he's like, he's not really the big bad guy right now. You know, he's kind of the banker guy for all these other bad guys. And all these other bad guys want and are, you know, could totally kill him because he's not the perfect bad guy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and he's, I don't know. He's very interesting to me. I, I, I like him. Uh, I like him think. too. Um, but it, they, they have this, uh, exchange where it's like, oh, you're like, he's like knocked on his ass in, in the apartment and he doesn't like try to stop them from slicing off. Oh the, yeah. Yeah. Like, so there's this like, okay, he, he, his moral compass is a little bit fucked up and he doesn't know really what to do um and then but we know that james and vesper are on the outside and they can hear what's going on and so it seems like he's about to like come to the rescue but the the guys stop um uh and then they they come out and and see that they were listening and it sets up this whole fight sequence in the stairwell um where like Bond ends up having to kill these two guys, um, and Vesper like seemingly encounters her first like deaths or, or murders, um, which really kind of messes with her. Oh yeah, that's a and what's cool here is uh, in the original script, it's that uh, Vesper you know is in like her lingerie and then she goes in the shower, and Daniel mm. Craig's like no 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 she just should be in her full clothes and like it should be like totally you know, freaking out. And they're like, great idea, Daniel Craig. Um, and like, to me that shows like he has, you know, stake in it too, you know, like he cares about the way that this looks and why this is being interpolated this way. Um, so, you know, once that interaction happens, we have, you know, that scene in the stairwell is, is pretty great. You know, it's, uh, it's, I don't think we need it. Like, that's why it's, it's like this movie is overly long. Like, I think there's a couple different points of this movie where they could have taken out and kind of skipped over things. Sure. And I think 
the this like stairwell sequence wow it's very good and it does mark an interesting kind of tonal shift for the movie i don't know if you need it in this length uh and i think that they could have done ways to maybe you know cut a minute or two here or there so that it flows a little bit quicker so you can get right back to the poker game yeah which isn't to say it's too too jarring um, it, it kind of is because it goes back and forth so many – there's a, multiple sequences where things happen in between. And so if we didn't have – like if this started in Act 1, fine. But look, we're already a long way into the movie and there's a, oh, a lot yeah. left to go. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it would be interesting if it was like Le Chief's henchman that he's fighting because he's like trying to get more information on him, but it's like setting up this whole other dynamic with like, Oh no, actually it's like these guys that are after LeChief. So yeah, but right. Bond but, throws them in the, in the, in the, in the closet and Mathis takes care of them and pins it on LeChief, but whatever we get back to the game, we get bond. Uh, he, he has his like his signature cocktail made <laughs> at some points and everyone's like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll have one of those. Yeah, it's a funny. That's a funny bit. Funny, I love it. Um, but yeah, so eventually, Bond loses. Does he lose before or after he gets poisoned? He loses. Uh, before he gets poisoned, he loses. Yeah. The. Uh, he loses the first, you know, few times. Then, it's after he's. Um, coming in on the second night and he orders that drink. He orders the, the, uh, the special drink and he goes and he has the meeting with Vesper, uh, at the bar. Then he takes the drink back and he realizes he's sick. Right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great sequence. Um, and really I think it's, it's, it's so different, you know, it's such a departure. Like there's been no instruction of how any of this works. He has no idea what to do, but he's immediately, um, you know, cognizant enough to figure it all out and work with the t- tools that he has to keep himself alive. Uh, yeah, and and like right before, so before that, he has his instinct when he loses though is to go and like go after the guys, and like he's got a knife and he's gonna go, um, you know, man his way out of it instead of like because Vesper's not willing to give him the money. But ultimately, Felix Leiter and the CIA are willing to give him the money because they, he's like, you're a better poker player than me. I'll fund you. I'll back you as long as I get to, to take him in. Um, and so that's kind of how we get back into the game. And But, yeah, it's it's totally awesome to see him like be like, oh, shit, I've been poisoned. And he like he grabs like salt water and throws it up and, you know, has to get back to his car and that's a really awesome sequence. It's brutal to watch him like go through this and go like going into cardiac arrest and, you know, almost get hit by cars <laughs> to oh get to God. his, it's so intense. Um, and like, it's, it's interesting though, that they set it up that unless Vesper was there, he would, would have died. Totally. Totally would have been totally would have not made it. It was only that Vesper came by and plugged him in that he survived. Uh, super lucky. Um, uh, it, yeah, that's a cool sequence, though, too. And he gets back in. He cleans himself up. He goes, he says, that drink nearly killed me. Oh, my God. Best line in the whole fucking movie. Or I, I think it's that that last hand nearly killed me. 
Oh, uh, last that. hand nearly killed me. Oh my god, yeah. he's so that was that's a, my favorite. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, because Matt uh, Lashif is like <laughs> in disbelief that he's still alive. He should be dead. Um. So then, yeah, it culminates in a very exciting sequence where James Bond wins the the card game. Um, it's you know. Uh, I can't say that I understand poker or know how to play it at all, but for this few seconds, it's it's very exciting when he wins. Um, what do you right. think? It is very exciting. I think there's some things that happen off screen, like the exchanges between Bond and Mathis and Vesper of like, oh, I figure out his tell. Like where it's implied that, you know, one of them give it up to Le Chief and then they probably tell Lashif what Bond's tell is and so there's a bit of like additional like counteracting going on that um, but ultimately obviously Bond wins makes a ton of money and there's this whole thing about like the, the wire payment and the password um, so it, it's it's great it's yeah like you said they make the, the poker feel uh, like a game that you're invested in you want to watch and, and the stakes are so high um, these poor other guys like lost so much money. <laughs> oh, millions of dollars! Millions. So much, so much money. Um, um. So he wins the poker game, but you know, ultimately, you know, we know that that can't be the end of the movie. Uh, you know, they have you know a nice little dinner and a very interesting conversation. Again, it took me having the subtitles on to really understand this on this watch, what they were actually saying and okay. kind of what's implied. So I think if you watch it, if you, if you know what Vesper does at the end of the movie going in, when she's discussing, uh, you know, the scene with the necklace with yeah. bond, I think, you know, they really know at, you know, they are really setting up that she's not on the level, you know, where she's, he bond says to her is like, you're playing for something. I don't know what you're playing for. You're not going to let me know, but you're playing for, you have something going on here. Mm -hmm. You have a motive. And I think that that is very indicative. Like he knew kind of what was going on and he chose to ignore it and follow his heart, you know, which ultimately always gets everybody in trouble as we learned from Anakin Skywalker and attack of the clones. Um, (laughs) so, uh, you know, here, um, you know, they have this nice little dinner. She goes off, um, and is captured. Uh, and we see that, um, you know, Bond gets in this um, spectacular car crash. You know, I mean, like, I hate to say spectacular because it's it looks horrific. Like, I can't imagine anybody in real life surviving that. But it it it's on film. It's one shot. It's awesome. Yeah, and especially after everything he's been through so far in this movie, like, yeah, you really feel every single thing. Like he he was literally almost dead, and now he goes into this this car crash. Like, what's kind of unclear is like, did she set this up and be like, oh, I'm gonna go on the road, or is like, are they double crossing her too? There there's so many. That's what's hard about the plot with like so many ambiguous players. Like, yeah, she's set up in the middle of the road, car flips a million times, and they're both captured, um, which sets up like the most brutal scene of the movie. 
Yeah, we've been teasing it for a couple episodes. <laughs> Here we are. <sighs> the ball crunching scene. Um, this scene's horrible. Uh, it's so hard to watch. I, I stand by that again. It is beyond uh, anything I can ever imagine seeing. How this movie kept its PG-13 rating with this scene in the movie is nuts. Literally, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> like, like, I Yeah, I don't know. It's so brutal. Um, and, it, it, you know, they've got a dynamic going between them, and uh, Bond is like, playing with him in a way like you're scratching my balls and all that. Like, dude, he's Daniel Craig. If this isn't a bond movie, he gets nominated for award season. Ooh. You know, because this scene is like awesome. This is like a zero dark 30 level kind of performance, you know, where he's like really committed to the brutality of what's happening in a way that he makes it believable. Like, when he laughs and like it, he jokes at the end, like that's where he's coming kind of out of it. But like for the most part, like if this isn't a Bond movie, like I could definitely see more critical acclaim coming his way because of the level of believability that he brings to it. Like it's nuts. Yeah. Like you sit there and you cringe and you squirm because you think you're actually going to have that happen to you where someone's oh, yeah. going to put you on an old nasty chair, cut out the bottom of it, sit you naked on it and then hit you with rope big rope knot thing on your nuts hard like not like the first few times he like tapped him i can imagine that hurting so fucking bad like so ridiculously and then when he's like wailing on his nuts like what the fuck what the fuck like how does he not throw up like i would like or like probably internal bleeding i guess like uh oh my god it's just it really is it's a really horrific yeah um, but I think it totally, like, it's such it's such the opposite of, like, think of, like, a scene like Goldfinger, where Arik Goldfinger has James Bond on the big slab, and he's got the laser pointed at his nuts, but he's yeah. never actually going to shoot him in the nuts. Right? Or, like, or the in uh, Die Another Day, where he was tortured for, you know... Months and months and months, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it's it's bad, but it does, it's not like this. It's not this. <laughs> Right. Uh, this is this brings like this is why I think Lashifra is such a good bad villain. Like because he is in our categories, he is both the physical and villainous antagonist of this movie. Because of the actions of Lashifra that are put into plan in the beginning, mm-hmm. the he ultimately is all of the reasons for like James Bond's pain th- throughout the entire film. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, that makes sense. I, I, because that was one thing. I was like, I don't know who the physical antagonist is, like, because there's no like number two henchman guy that has been throughout it. Like, yeah, we had the parkour guy. We've got the guy with the machete in the stairwell. We've got, you know, various uh, like the the guy who fights on the the tarmac. Like, right? But, yeah, no. Ultimately, the physical villain is is when he gets his ropes. The rope. The rope is the physical villain, not even the uh, rope. sheep. Oh, my God. Um, but so the thing that really, like, is still shocking to me at this point is that, like, the sheep just gets murdered. Like, y- you think Bond is, like, not going to get out of this, and then it just flips so quickly. Yeah, it does. It, it, it really does kind of change. And the movie kind of goes on break for a couple minutes where it's like, hold on. <laughs> like we're in 
well, you made it to Rivendell. We're we're safe now. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird it's a weird part of the movie. Um, because you feel like okay, if he's the bad guy, somebody just took him out. We've got the money. We're done. But right. it keeps going, and like, I think that's what maybe to me among the you know many bad guy problem this like there are some pacing issues i think that make it like yes yeah this makes it feel so long and like it, multiple movies almost um this and, movie like, is very uh hurry up and wait you know like there's a lot of starting and stopping yeah and because like how much time passes while he's in the hospital like right he's got to be like weeks right like you you can't recover from that Everything he's been through, like his wounds heal. So like, he's got to be there for a long time and Vesper's there. Um, but like, we know that, um, Bond is mistrusting of, of Mathis at this point, And he sees him like in his, his like coma kind of. And yeah, basically when Mathis shows up, uh, he had already called MI6 and he gets arrested. Um, it's still a little unclear to me like what really what his uh involvement was um because like i think at the end of the movie we see bond say like well we know that vesper was was guilty but we don't necessarily know that mathis was innocent um so it's a little fuzzy yeah we'll we'll, we'll get we'll get there but like the the scenes in Italy where they're recovering are, I think, again, like, I think the movie kind of stops. Like, I think, you know, we, like, it's unclear if, like, in a lot of, like, recovery scenes, like, you'll get, like, a little bit of expositing of, like, oh, like, well, we'll save this leg, but, you know, you're going to walk in, you know, X amount of time. Nobody's going to say, like, hey, your balls, <laughs> they're not going to work again. Uh, I mean, like, they must have, they, they had to take them. Yeah, I mean, like, both. That, I mean, that I may think... set up why he's, like, the, you know, ultimate bachelor. Like, he can't, you know, he can't have kids, so fuck oh. it. Um, so, th- uh, you know, th- I think it's weird. He finally gets permission to, like, really start, you know, the romantic relationship with Vesper. They ca- they capture Mathis, and then, you know, you know Bond in his ultimate vulnerability is like, hey, like I love you. Like, let's go on an adventure. Let's be together. Let's do this thing, and it's awesome. And it just feels like weird, but like it doesn't feel weird where like we should be suspicious of her at that point in the movie. Right. And I feel like when you watch it again, there isn't that like level of rewatchability of like, well, what are they really doing? Because isn't there a way? And like, we haven't watched Quantum of Solace yet, and I like, I really want to watch it now uh, to find out. But like isn't it possible that like when the guy, Mr. White who like kills bond, like, isn't he like specter? Is that not what they're teasing there? Like, isn't that, Oh, what... they, they totally are. And that's the other thing that it, it bothers me that it takes them like four movies to get to that, to that point. Right. Like, sure. Like they tease it here and they, they're definitely teasing that Mr. White is working for a bigger organization. And, uh, that's why, you know, he just dispatches with the sheaf like well bad on us for like not being able to like recognize that. You know what I mean? Like, because when we were so. when this comes out, like we're not thinking about that at all. You well, know, and I think the other piece is that this is pre MCU. This is pre totally, totally like 
continuity happening with, within movies, like especially in James Bond movies. Like you, you go movie to movie, and the plots don't like connect at all, really. No. And now here's for the first time, like we're seeing them set up something and, and like really pretty blatantly, I think. And, and when you're watching it, you're like, Oh shit. Like they're setting up specter in casino Royale. Like that's fucking awesome. You know, it adds such a whole new level of depth to their whole arc against him. Like I'm so excited and reinvigorated to kind of watch him now, like to kind of see where we may have missed, uh, especially in quantum of solace. Like I know in skyfall, it's probably not as, pronounced but i think quantum of solace is definitely going to have to have something in there we looked over yeah probably um yeah this is their thanos scene at the end of avengers totally it's you're totally right you're totally right this is exactly what that is uh so i want to talk about the ending here briefly because i think that it is super important and it is super cool but i i don't know if it's like um I don't know if like what's all going on is like so much like told in the in the storytelling. <laughs> I think yeah. they needed they could have benefited from a little bit more expositing. Yeah. Uh, so you want to try to break it down? Yeah, I mean, it, and I think you're right that they spend so much time upping the action in in this movie that uh, some of the the plot details are uh, more murky. Um, and so basically, they're in in Venice. Um, having a grand old time. They've got the money, um, and it's basically implied that Vesper is going to go... Um, uh, or, actually, the, the money should have been you know, with MI6 at this point. And uh, she goes to go get money, and he's going to get their supplies. Like, ha, ha, ha. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, way too real. We're in, like, quarantine right now. This is what happens. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she, she leaves and leaves her phone and uh, Bond gets a call from the bank, the Swiss, Swiss bank, that um, the money never uh, arrived. Uh, uh, Bond, somebody is using the card. <laughs> yeah. Did you uh, do this activity? Yeah. All, all of the, the funds have been withdrawn at a location in Venice. And it's like, oh, shit. So he, he finds her phone. And sees that she's got a message from someone to meet, um, but like she clearly plants it there for him because she wants him to follow. Um, and so, so basically, what it's saying is that she has to pull the, these funds and give it to some Spectre agents. Um, and he goes on this chase to find her, and we go to this like abandoned Venice bil- building that is uh, under construction, and like it's. I'm like, Bond, what I, why are you blowing up the building? <laughs> just, like, take care of the bad guys. It's a, such an unstable environment. Um, right, but it does make for, I think, like, one of the best scenes. Like, it's such oh, a great it's so memorable. The pro- it's just, it's so late in the movie, and, like, you've already done so much. Like, you're just, like, exhausted at this point. And, it's, yeah. and I feel like this whole scene is kind of wasted because you're, like, not in it, like, fully. You know what I mean? Like... How could you possibly be have this level of enthusiasm and excitement after two and well, a half hours of the most action-packed James Bond movie ever before? Well, I think the thing is that you're really because the, the they are just about to do the twist, like that Vesper is not really uh, being altruistic, like right. that you're invested in their relationship, and it's like 
she's locked in this elevator shaft cage thing and um it's just like a ticking time bomb as he's you know taking out the guys and ultimately you know she's she's stuck in there and but i think there's a part of her that realizes that she i think their relationship had become real even though there was um sort of another guy um and she was really which is why she left the phone for him to follow into chase and and to maybe try to save her but like instead of like struggling and trying to get out of there and she just like takes all the water in and, and like lets herself drown it's like really brutal um it's super brutal and it and it's uh you know it just it's so quick it goes so quickly with her you know like you know oh this nice lady oh we're in love oh here we're in beautiful italy oh let's stop in venice and pick shit up oh okay bye see you in a bit and then she's, and then she's dead gone yeah uh it's devastating for him. It really yeah. is. Like, this is him. Like, he was really falling for her. And, like, he realizes he let his guard down and missed something and ends up losing her and the money. And it's like, this is at the end with his conversation with M, you really see his persona, like, come to fruition, right? Like, the origin well, the story line, is complete. Yeah, so, I'm sorry, I hate, I hate to interrupt you again, Frank. I'm so sorry. No, buddy. that's okay. I was just saying that, like, this this is, like, the final inciting incident that makes him become the Bond that we know, right? Like, this is his, like, this is his Uncle Ben dying. This is his, this is why he puts up his walls and it becomes womanizing because he doesn't want to get too close to anybody, um, and you know, this is the first significant loss that he's had probably since his parents. Right. And you see that, you know, the line that he says when he's like, the bitch is dead, that's straight out of the book. Wow. That's not modern interpolation. That's OG shit right there. Uh, you know, finally when, you know, you get to the end of the movie and he pulls up on Mr. White and he shoots him and then you get the iconic, you know, Bond. James Bond and then the fucking theme kicks in oh it's it's epic and it make it makes you feel it feels like the end of Iron Man 1 where you're like I gotta see what happens next immediately yeah that's that's a great point yeah that he, he has become Bond and what's you know where they they set up the thread of um of Spectre they kind of close the loop here a little bit in that like okay he gets the the money back and he gets right I guess does he get the money back? Uh, yes. I think they... he does. How does he get the money back? He gets he gets the case from Mister White at the for Mister White, and so it's like okay, he shoots him in the leg, off screen. Like if this movie doesn't do well or they never can make Spectre, it doesn't matter. He kills Mister White there off screen. Fine, but what we know is that Mister White continues on. Maybe they capture him or something to find out more information about his suppliers uh, or his other contacts. So, but it, it works. It closes the loop in a way that's like, yes, you want to know what happens next, but it's not like a, a major cliffhanger. No. Um, you know, it, I don't know. I like, I just feel like this movie could have lost like about a half hour and, and that maybe they, that a lot of the stuff that goes into this movie that gives so much of its character also 
you know, makes it a different entry. You know, this movie feels like a lot of movies, you know, like it, it just got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, now that we've kind of hit all the points, let's try to briefly rate this thing so that we're not killing people and their batteries as they're listening to the podcast. Um, Surely. And, uh, wrap this sucker up. Sounds good. All right. So, uh, okay. So the opening sequence, uh, given that the opening sequence is a little bit different here, but it's unique, I'm going to go with a seven. What about you, Frank? So what are, are you saying the like the noir piece or the like I'm going to say the gun I'm going to say the gun barrel sequence is the is this opening sequence it's almost kind of like a prelude in a way yeah. you know like but I I think maybe that sets the tone it's in black and white it's art it's artsy I like it and I think it it definitely sets up what I like about this movie I'm going to cheat a little bit and like like I said, the, the for me the parkour thing is just so good to not like call out. So I'm combining both, and I'm giving the opening sequence an eight um, because I like the noir, but I also think the parkour really sets up things in such a way that you know sets the movie off in a, a different direction than any of the other bonds so far. Great Cheating. work. What about plot? Uh, the plot to me can it, it is a little bit convoluted. Um, so it's uh, I, I like the the stuff with the the casino and um, and it's some of that's easy to follow, but some of the other interplay between um, so all the villain characters is kind of tough. Um, what do you think? Uh, I think the the plot is. You know, I always try to think of this category as say the plot in as few sentences as you can, right? right. So the plot of this movie is um, uh, the Shifra is a bad guy uh, banker. He's trying to uh, recoup money for his investors by having a poker game. In doing so, he discovers, uh, you know, that MI6 is, you know, infiltrating, you know, his systems, at which point you know, larger forces uh, at bay, you know, tamper to make sure that they beat Bond in, you know, and, uh, you know, through any means necessary through tampering with his love life, you know? Uh, so it, you, it's hard to say, like, there's a lot of other yeah. elements I left out there. So yeah. I think I'm probably going to agree with you here. And, you know, similarly to GoldenEye, I think I'm going to give this like a six, right? One better yeah. than GoldenEye. I think a six is very appropriate. Um, okay, so gadgets, cue, and car. So <sighs> nothing is ever, is explained in this movie, and, and like that is going to be a, a big question until we get to cue again in Skyfall, right? So like, how do like do these? Does this matter? Like, can the gadgets and the car kind of stand up on their own uh, in a way that makes them you know as fun as some of the earlier entries? And I think that you are lacking a cue scene or at least an explainer bit of how the car how the car worked. I think that they needed to explain how the car worked. So I, I'm going to give that a six also. Yeah. I, th I think, um, you know, we see him get the car and he looks through the, the glove box, but like, we don't know what any of that is until later. Like it exactly. just shows that it's there, but it's never explained. Oh, there's a defibrillator there. And like, I do like his, um, use of the, the gadgets in the world around him. Like this is a yes. modern bond so he can use the computer and the GPS tracker and he can use the, 
um, the, the camera footage in, in kind of a cool way. Um, but I agree, I think without explaining anything and without him having any really cool gadgets of his own, um, yeah, I, I think a six is appropriate. Okay. Uh, in terms of Bond girls, you know, I, I think we both really liked Vesper a lot. I think that she does a lot of things that are very different from the archetypical Bond girl that we've come to know so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that she does kind of set up um, an int- a great uh, bar for the new modern uh, female leads in a Bond movie, shall we say, uh, to kind of come around. So for Eva Green's performance and uh, her, her really reinvention. I was going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to give her a 10. 10 fantastic i think uh not only does she set a bar but like there's a a characteristic thread now for bond like in his mind this was she was like his love and now throughout the rest of the daniel craig movies like everything she's important yeah she's important like he goes back to her and i think um uh, Dimit- Mrs. Dimitrios, whatever her name was. Yeah, is she's also hot too. Yeah, she's a great uh, Bond girl. Okay. Villain. This is a hard one. So if we're just talking about Le Chiffre, like, he's not ultimately pulling that many strings. Like, he's being puppeteered. Yeah, but he's kind of like... Uh... I was going to say he's like the Joker, but he's kind of not really like the Joker. He's kind of like a little bit like Two-Face, you know, a little bit like different villains like who are, you know, kind of have some like depth to them. And mm-hmm. I think he's like so he's so beyond so many of the Bond archetypes. Like instead of like, you know, putting him on an easily escapable, you know, slow moving platform with one inept guard, like he's wailing on his nuts and getting the information you know, and, and, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, loses the fight here. So I think that because of how, you know, there isn't really a physical antagonist in the form of an external character that Bond will have to overcome throughout the movie, like, I'm going to give his physical antagonist a 10, and I'm going to give the overall villain a 8, because I think that what the Schieffer does is very real. It's, it's a very realistic bond villain. It's not a evil conniving, you know, um, you know, uh, mustache twirling, um, dude. It's some guy who's like, I need to make money to gamble so I can have money because I like money. That's it. That seems very real to me. I'm going to give the villain a seven and the physical a nine, um, kind of like a, a blending of the two. I just think that they, and, you know, maybe this is our own fault for having such, like, clear boundaries in in our categories. But, sure. like, um, I think that the villain part is a little bit convoluted because there are so many players. And, like, Mr. White, like, he could be considered a villain, but he doesn't do anything, really. Um, you know, if, if we're talking, like, okay, well, maybe we need to be saying uh, Blofeld is pulling the strings. Like, maybe that's more interesting. But, like, I don't think it's told enough in this movie to really... Uh, like, you know, we're not saying in Avengers 1 that Thanos is the villain. Like, he's pulling the strings, but right. he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, physical antagonist, I think. Uh, to me, like, I'm splitting it. This is, yes, when uh, Le Chiffre is wailing on his nuts, but it's also 
um, parkour guy. I think that uh, is so standout. So I think it's so standout that it's worth like noting that there is multiple physical antagonists and, and Daniel Craig holds his own against them. So um, Bond performance. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was waiting for these so that, you know, we could use them when they're necessary. And, and you know, I think I'm going to go again with a nine because I think Daniel Craig is really, um, bless you, uh, firing on all cylinders here. I don't think he's like fully immersed himself in it yet where he's at like Skyfall level 10, but I think he's, he really does a lot of work to himself, uh, you know, portray the kind of bond that we want to see through the physicality, through the emotion, through the, um, you know, the hard work that he puts in like that. There's, he's, he's great. Yeah, uh, I think I think a nine is also worthy here. Um, it's it's such a standout performance. Um, it's so new and different. I think um, it's really important for for what happens in the other other films later on. Um, but you know, it's it's not perfect, and I don't. It, but I don't know why. I think there maybe because of I know what's to come. Um, so yeah, legacy, continuity, moment slash relevancy. I think this also is going to get some high marks. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that this is like it sets off like a new like, as far as like a new entry into the, like the the James Bond universe and establishing a continuity for the first time. I think we have to give this a high mark. So I think, you know, I'm going to give it a nine here you know, just because it's establishing so much and then it, it'll ha- this will help the the score for quantum of solace. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think because I gave plot low in terms of like it being a little bit confusing and like some of the, it, it, it dips in pace and stuff. I, I think this as a nine also is appropriate because he, uh, you know, the, the fact is like they succeeded in rebooting bond they are about to make their their fifth entry uh, 14 years later, um, and they really change what Bond's going to be forever, and we don't know um, what's next to come, but it's going to be, you know, they set the bar high. Yeah. Uh, okay, special effects. Um, because this movie is relying on practical effects, I think it's also got to get a high score, um, but, you know, but I, I don't know if they're going to be... I don't know if I'm going to give it a 10 because most of it is the actors. Right. So I think probably going to go with an eight here. Yeah. Um, I think like the main thing to me that I guess this isn't special, special effects necessarily, but like they're the gadgets they use, like the phones and the computers and all that stuff looks so like ancient now. <laughs> Whereas in like some, uh, some movies they they make it like they made this feel modern right this feels like a movie that was in 2006 sometimes a movie looks like the technology is a couple years ahead of us right even if that ultimately dates it like you know there's no ipad like thing in here where there was one and tomorrow never dies like i don't know if that counts as special effects but i think looking at um everything that they're using uh whether it's techie or or uh um, 
actual practical effects. I mean, I'm 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 gonna go. Yeah, eight is probably as low as I can go because I think the action is so so amazing. Um, and score and song. Yeah, I'm gonna give this a high score because I like the way that it inter- it interacts. And I like the way that um, they don't use the classic Bond theme until the end of the movie, and they kind of don't they don't rely on it as kind of a crutch. They kind of um, and they're not trying to reinvent it. They're trying to say how much can we do without it that will make you understand why you want it again. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, um, I think the song is great, um, and I love that it has like it integrates into the score. And it has a Bond vibe, but it's not like, oh, they have the actual Bond music there. Um, I guess I probably would have liked to have at least another moment of the Bond music coming in um, that's not at the end. Like, you know, the the moment where we really feel like he's become Bond. So I'm going to go and give it a nine. Oops, I'm going the wrong way. So Okay. Um, okay. So this... If you do your math, um, AJ gave this an 83 and I gave this an 81. I think that kind of sums it up about right. Like, yes, um, you probably like it a little bit more than me, um, but not by a lot. And uh, looking at the other movies that we've rated so far, both of our our scores here are higher than any of the Pierce Brosnan's. Yeah, I think in general, this feels like my bond. I know that we love Pierce Brosnan and he's our first bond, but this feels like a bond of our times, like a bond that is relevant to me. That's why I like it better. And I think that as these movies go and they progress, they're kind of taking, you know, what bond is and, and reinventing it. And, you know, I think one of the key, you know, you know, moments that we didn't really talk about, but is so pivotal to this movie is, you know, in one of the scenes in Montenegro, James goes up to the, the bar he orders a vodka martini. The bartender says, shaking her stirs. And the guy's like, do you think I give a shit? And, you know, like, that's such a perfect, you know, reinterpretation of yeah. the classic Bond. Like, he's he has got other problems. He's got other priorities. It's not about it, – it's it's less about style and tropes and more about function and reality. You're absolutely right. Um, I think this was a great movie. Um, I think um, – I'm really excited to to see the rest, especially within kind of context of uh, comparing them together and kind of, you know, the fact that the con- there is continuity between them all. Um, and, you know, we are we're still missing the final entry. So whether that means that there's going to be a, a send off for this Bond character or if they're just going to recast it and we're supposed to believe it's going to keep going, I, I feel a little less inclined that's going to be the case. But um yeah, I think uh, Casino Royale was a great way for them to, to reboot and, um, you know, using the novel. I, I, I haven't ever wanted to read the books, um, but I'm definitely my I'm peaked. And I think that uh, Blu-ray disc uh, special feature where they kind of compare that the, the book and the movie would be interesting to, to see how much how, how closely tied they are. Oh, I think that would be awesome. I think that would be a great thing we could do. And I also really now want to see the 67 movie, too. I want to see what that's all about. It's got to be so, so different. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole different world. I don't know if we'll even get the jokes. All right, but this episode has gone on um, for a long time. If you've been listening, you are a fucking trooper. Uh, Thank you so much. Please 
Uh, keep subscribing to us. You can on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. Uh, you can email us, info at longlostheroes.net. You can check us out at our website, www.longlostheroes.net. You can uh, send us, you know, find us on social media at LLH Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, you can get at us, have any suggestions, have any questions. We'll put it in the show. Uh, thank you so much, Frank. Thanks so much, AJ. This has been a blast, and I can't wait for the next episode. Hell yeah, guys. Stay, stay classy, everyone. All right. Bye. Bye.